0: This is Daniel Figel and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the AI curve. If you're not looking to learn to code, but you do want to help to select and lead AI projects to a successful ROI, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about the topic of AI adoption speed. Every now and again, in certain industries, an event will happen to set an entirely new normal. We thought it would take X amount of time to do this very complicated thing. And we learned that in an emergency, we can do it in Y amount of time. And now we've got to figure out how to maintain that Y. We now know that there's a faster possibility. We now know that all of our competitors are moving faster. How do we stay up to speed as well? That's exactly what we address in this particular episode, and this is something that applies to almost any industry. Our guest this week is Emmanuel Walkonier. He is the CEO of EasyOp. EasyOp is a natural language generation AI vendor uh, serving the life sciences space, and we're speaking today about speeding up the drug development process. EasyOp works with many of the world's largest pharmaceutical firms, and we get a bit of an up-close and personal perspective with Emmanuel himself in this episode. There's a few things you'll learn in this episode that I think will be extremely valuable. One, we take a look at an industry in an extreme flux, which is life sciences, drug development. Uh, Any industry can have one of these events that set a new normal. Being able to see what happens when a new normal is achieved and how companies have to scramble to keep up with it is useful. Because any industry not going through this cycle right now is simply waiting to go through one. And so. Looking at life sciences is a bit of a crystal ball into how this might happen in other industries as well. In addition to that, we talk about the expansion of AI projects and capabilities. If you are a vendor, you'll find some interest in how Emmanuel speaks about the expansion of their product line and how they fit into automating different parts of the life sciences journey to be able to help their clients, how their own product has evolved based on client demand. If you are an enterprise leader and you work with vendors, this will be a nice looking glass into how a first project can roll into a second and a third, how building one AI capability might turn into expanding that into other particular use cases based on that same capability. So whether you're a buyer or a seller, the land and expand of building new AI capabilities in the enterprise will be a big takeaway from today's episode. One quick point to mention here, we have a series next week starting on the 14th of March, which will be airing every day that week. So 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th, all about achieving ROI with early AI projects. The series kicks off with AI leaders from one of the largest AI hardware companies in the world and one of the largest insurance companies in the world. You're not going to want to miss this series. It is five days next week, Monday through Friday. Every episode is about the way to measure and ensure AI ROI on early projects. That starts next Monday. I'll give you more details in the outro of this episode, but I wanted to mention it in the intro. So stick around to the end if you want to learn a little bit more about who our guests are and what you're going to learn. The episode you're listening to now is sponsored by EasyOp. If you're an AI vendor and you're looking to reach a global enterprise audience, you can learn more about how we work with vendors from sponsored podcasts, to articles, co-branded research, lead generation, and more at emerj.com slash ad one. That's AD like advertise, and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad one. Without further ado, let's roll in. This is Emmanuel with EasyOp. You're on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Emmanuel, we meet again on the podcast, and we're talking about the exciting and fast-moving space of life sciences—a space that's had to become more fast-moving since COVID. And you and I were talking off microphone about why speed has become paramount. Talk a little bit about what happened with COVID nineteen that forced people to break the old norms for drug development speed.
1: Well, good morning, uh, Dan. Nice to meet yeah. you again. Hey, gay. good to see you again. Um, hello, everybody. Yeah, COVID has demonstrated that you know drug introduction process for big pharma companies is obviously a very um, strict regulated you know safety is paramount so you know it, it it's very very uh, you know uh, uh, detailed and and you usually takes you know 2 years 3 years you know from you know the, the day you say okay let's start you know test this new drug for humans and, and get the approval from the FDA or the EMA in, in Europe. So this is out of magnitude. COVID crashed completely that for many reasons. And of course, it was a completely exceptional, uh, you know, situation with, uh, you know, everybody was all, you know, on board and they tried to put everything in parallel, you know, the drug development, the manufacturing, the approval process. So it's completely exceptional. Now, it did reveal you know, stating the obvious that what was completely seen impossible three years ago was actually possible under, of course, exceptional circumstances. But now, you know, my, what I feel, you know, and we're talking with, you know, lots of big pharma and biotechs, and they say, well, you know, maybe this open our eyes. And what seems impossible, because safety, was paramount and is still paramount Of course, course. but maybe speed is actually not in conflict with you know safety and how can we actually with ai accelerate this process so i think the new normal in a way and i think everybody is looking for a new normal yes yes, of course which is not like three years ago but which is completely different and actually you know this opens you know big land of opportunity
0: Totally. And it's it's played into the hands of many AI vendors who are on the cutting edge of digital transformation where everybody's scrambling to find how can we get an advantage. It allows us to experiment and, and adopt. And obviously, you guys have grown a good deal since we talked last time in terms of the number of life sciences firms you work with. It almost reminds me, you talked about the breaking of those old standards where we would have said, not just that would be challenging, but companies might have said that's impossible. And now, yeah. they They made it possible, so now we all know that physically we we are able to actually make speed uptick and and be able to keep safety at a standard that people can be happy with. It's like when Roger Bannister broke the you know four minute mile or whatever the case may be and and uh and then everybody else started breaking the same record because in their mind they were then like, "Oh, I guess I can do this." This is like a whole industry wide version of that, and so I think it's gonna lead to a lot of new experimentation, and for you guys, that's also meant. Seeing the adoption of this technology more. Talk a little bit about since you know a year ago when we first connected. How have you seen life science expand with your guys' work in NLG?
1: Well, we're making uh, you know some progress. Working hard with that. So we are working with half a dozen of the uh, top twenty biggest pharma companies in the world. So we have time contracts and so on. So which is great. Sanofi was a pioneer there. Yep. yep they and were the then you know we grew. We uh, we were proud to see that you know, dozens and dozens, you know, this year, maybe 50 or if not 60 new drug introduction will use our technology live. So it's not your pilot anymore. It's really in production. You know, true medical writers, true companies are using EasyUp to actually, you know, help them to accelerate this uh, drug introduction process, which is, you know, I mean, for us, very nice and big recognition. There are very few people uh, able to do that. So that's, uh, you know,
0: some good accolades very, very there. Of that. yeah, yeah, that's a good
1: one. And we have more and more feedback from, uh, you know, from, from, these, uh, from these companies. And they're pushing us to do more in two directions. The one, they say, well, you know, this needs to be absolutely perfect in terms of, you know, in the, in the production environment. It has to be, you know, just uh, very natural for a medical writer to dialogue with the machine. To get exactly what they want, to have the right style, to talk about what they want. So, you know, I mean, this is, this is an area where, you know, we're working a lot with, yeah. these, you know, with these different companies. And the other one, they are pushing us to expand. Well, you're focusing on these two critical documents, which is, you know, clinical safety summary and patient ITH, safety narrative. Why don't we can kind of do more in clinical, in preclinical, in pharmacovigilance? So they're really pushing the boundaries. And then they're really pushing us to, to accelerate, which is uh, which is nice.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, well, I was going to say in these legacy industries, it's not always the case that you're getting your best new product ideas. I mean, of course, talking to users is always critical, but really having users lean into the edge of, hey, what's possible, what's possible, what's possible. That's that's not the story of every vendor, but you guys are actually hearing that, which is cool because uh, then you get to follow along with that. So there's two elements that this kind of customization is happening. And also you're talking about increased adoption just to check in on that, part of it probably is the fact that you guys had some good flagship early clients. Like you mentioned Santa Fe on our last interview, obviously, your work with them was a big deal to get other clients to be open to this. But do you feel like the general pressure of everybody's getting faster, we need more ways to get faster? Was that general pressure of the COVID environment also part of what you think allowed people to say, okay, we'll try something new?
1: Absolutely. It's a combination of... uh... Exactly, you know what you, you just said about COVID, and the fact it works—it provides tangible results. I have many customers told me, "Well, Emmanuel, we have tried so many things in the past. Just prove me that yeah. this is real. Yeah, that this is—you know, this is actually working." And when I tell them, "Guys, you know, we're working on vaccine, we're working on oncology, we're working on—you know, five different therapeutic areas, and so on," they so say, "All right, so let's look at that." And because all the work we have done, we can prove that in a matter of weeks. And, you know, this helps a lot.
0: Definitely. And and the focused nature of your product, I think, on, on these particular workflows also helps a lot. You know, for a vendor like yourself who is growing... If if we can only talk about capabilities in the abstract and then bring them to the client and say, "Hey, we can do these abstract things." Here's all the very many companies we can work with. That's not as convincing as a company just like you working on a workflow just like you, and here are the results. So specificity yeah. feels like power when it comes to breaking into big industries like that.
1: Yes, and it's, it's it's a bit magic, you know. We told them, "Bring your data. Don't trust us. Bring your data on former, uh, you know, studies you have done." inject this data in our solution and look at that you know look at what we have created are you comfortable with that you know just like St. thomas
0: trial by fire trial by fire i mean a lot of the the best bigger enterprise deals are going to have to come from put your money where your mouth is with the data in that respect obviously that's been how you guys have made it happen too i want to review very quickly the use case we went into some depth around uh, these medical documents you're now starting to expand into more of them if you could think about kind of the, the three to five minute summary of the core NLG use case that you guys do, we're going to start with that and then we're going to break that into where that's starting to expand because your customers are making you expand in right. two ways. So we're going to pick that apart after we talk about the use case. How do you sum it up in three to five minutes when you're talking to a business audience?
1: Yeah, the first, you know, I mean, when you do a new drug introduction, the key document is what, you know, the industry called the CSR, Clinical Study Report. And this is where we describe for the FDA, for the uh, you know regulatory um, uh, agencies. Okay, this is this is you know the protocol we're following. This is a type of demography. You know how many people have been tested. This is a summary of the safety. You know uh, you know how many adverse events. What type of population had some some issue with the drug. This is where you summarize the efficacy of the drug. You know compare the efficacy versus the uh, you know, the drawbacks it may have. So, so it's really a synthesis, which may be actually quite long and then you've got summary and so on. But this is really all the FDA needs to know about this drug introduction. And then there are appendix where you list, you know, all call that patient narrative, patient by patient, well, I would say interesting patient where they had some, you know, severe adverse events, you know, all the details about that. So it's very cumbersome very data driven and this was the first document we are focusing on it is a critical document you know they took yeah. 18 months from database lock database lock to uh, submission you know it's 18 months on average so it's a bit you know the clock is ticking and every week we can we can help them saying you know this is this is well this is big money but it's as well you know a lot of life saved
0: sure sure if we can speed now, things up yeah go ahead
1: a round of this core document there are many other documents that could be automated. I just take one or two examples. Sure, let's the do investigator it. brochure, you know, when they do this clinical study, they have to contact physicians, you know, be far contact physicians say, guys, you know, you're going to be part of this trial. And they have to detail what it is about. So it's a different type of language to be as well very precise, very detailed. This is what you are going to inject. This is what we know about these molecules. This is uh, how we want to, you know, you to uh, give us your feedback and so on and so on. So these type of documents as well, you know, critical documents, we could automate it. Other documents in summaries, a lot of summary that has to be done for, you know, uh, many many different uh, organisms. There is as well the uh, another one which is interesting is the lay summary. You have to you know every patient who took part of a you know of uh, this type of uh, trial, you know receive you know a lay summary okay this is what happened this is a result this is what we got and this is as well you know i'm of course i'm very uh, focused on languages but, sure sure yeah you know yeah. this is another style it has to be uh you know it's not you know you have to be very simple very crisp yeah and very understandable. So there are, you know, seven type of families just in the clinical phases of documents. Now in preclinical, when you are doing, you know, it's not even testing, you know, new drug on, you know, humans, it's more, on, you know, animals, you know, you have got whole other kinds of documents you have to do, same principle, how does that work, where are the adverse events, what is the efficacy or projected efficacy, then you have got some um, whole kind of reports on the manufacturing stability of the manufacturing you know is you know uh, you know to be sure that the quality is absolutely perfect so it's a whole bunch of analysis there there is also labeling you know i mean labeling for me it was you know very simple process actually the labeling of the drugs as well you know highly sophisticated and we can help there so you know i mean we can expand you know in many different places so
0: there's documents for you're getting at is there's documentation that like compliance required often uh, documents for everywhere up and down this channel that somebody has to work away on. And I know you had mentioned that that big initial document, is, I mean, how long are these sometimes in terms of pages?
1: Oh, thousands of pages.
0: Thousands of pages. I mean, that's very An an incredible amount of reading. I mean, there must be just a team of people to read one of those because going cover to cover is outlandishly challenging. When it comes to the how around generating these, what's the short layperson's answer on that? So there's all these checkpoints. The way I'm seeing it mentally is as we're going to develop a drug, we've got sort of our preclinical work. We've got the stuff we've got to submit to to the FDA or, or whatever the body is in Europe. And then even afterwards, we've got to create summaries. We've got to spin out detail about specific substances we're using or whatever the case may be. So many splinter checkpoints where we need to have documents that are going to be necessary to open the gate and take the next damn step. And they're all barriers to speed. So clearly, that's that's the business value. What does it look like to train a machine to be able to spin one of those up. There's such niche-specific, industry-specific language in every drug company. If you're working on diabetes or you're working on blindness, the sets of ingredients and the risks and every the scientific terms are going to be quite quite varied. What does it look like to train a machine to be able to come up with a first draft here?
1: I used to say that uh, pharma, show points, is three to four times more complicated than financial use cases or, you know, marketing use cases where you can as well automate insights and so on. Pharma is way more complicated. For the reason you just mentioned, you know, the training and the setup of the model is way more complex. But another complexity we actually, I have to say, we underestimated is that the data as well is not as, you know, every study, even in oncology or in vaccine Every single study has different format, so it's really you are you know you need to have a tool who can adapt and ingest all type of different data, and again this is good, again this is going to change every time. Yeah. So that's a complete nightmare. We, we turned into an opportunity, but you know banks they are way more stable. Say so, okay, this is a PNL, this is a balance sheet, this is you it's know it's going to look similar. Really yeah. Forever, uh, pharma is uh, wow. It's completely different. Yeah. So you have complexity in the data, you have complexity in the uh, well, the training of the of the model, and the medical writers are highly skilled people. So you can't just produce, you know, average or you know what you have to produce has to be perfect. Otherwise, as usual, they will say, "Well, you know, this is robotic, or this doesn't sound yeah. right, or yeah. I have to rewrite everything." Doesn't help. So you have to be super flexible, highly trained model, and have an interface, and the quality of the text has to be perfect. So it's pretty, you know, Pharma is pretty high in the, you know, super demanding industry.
0: Yeah, lots of challenges there. And does this, a, the initial phases of coming up with a first draft involves digesting similar documents many times over and figuring out, okay, where are the spots where we have to add these kinds of risks or in this section, we have these kind of variables. They have to be laid out in this way. So there has to be a building of kind of some base modules, which might be in different orders from what you're saying, Absolutely. But, but there's building out of base modules of what, what's the data we need to enter at the top to kind of create what will be natural text in each of these modules. So somebody on, you know, clearly many t- members of your team have had to, I presume piece by piece, break apart these thousand page yes. things, find all the parts and then say, what are the inputs that are going to give us a, a strong enough first, draft. It right. sounds like that's the challenge of building these is you've got to then deconstruct all the subcomponents in order to have AI build them.
1: Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. And and today, and you know we'll talk about the future, but today we're really focused on the data related, you know, sections, you know, so we're not yeah. covering we're basically covering 50%. of these documents, which are all data related, but it's exactly what we did and We built some, you know, patented intentions or, you know, reusable components we could use, you know, across, you know, across uh, therapeutic areas. And so we are pretty, uh, you know, uh, pretty uh, comfortable with that. And we build these libraries of intentions that we can actually reuse and adapt because of course, every pharma company wants to talk a bit differently from even if it is oncology or vaccine or whatever, you know, they have all their own secret sauce we need to adapt, you know, for for each of these guys.
0: Yeah. And, and so there's two areas where you're you're seeing them kind of pull at you. And I think one of the more interesting ways to get a sense of where AI is heading in an industry is to talk to the vendors that are working with the big players and get a sense of... How are the needs evolving of the customers? What are they asking for? Where are things getting pulled towards? Where do you see it going? And there's kind of two things you brought up that I want to make sure I can get right. One is they have all these other documents and they're saying, hey, turn these into modules, turn these into inputs for the data related portions of those documents and let us speed those up too. So it's it's expanding in that way. The other side is more development even on the personalization side. Was that the other part of it where they want more and more ability to make it more casual, less casual, more... This kind of a sentence, not that kind of sentence. What does that personalization customization look like? What are they asking for? What do they want to be able to do more of?
1: They they want to uh, exactly what you say. You know, they want to have their own specificities customization. We have built a tool so that they can do that with, well non technical people can actually do that. I think this is very important that actually the guys who knows can actually do these last mile customization. You know, himself. It is, you know, experts, medical writers, you know, senior medical writers who can say, all right, this is how we want this to function for our medical writing team. Has to be a, you know, and this is, by the way, pretty complex. You know, it has to be pretty simple, understandable, drag and drop mechanism. You know, they can choose some options, you know, and this works very well. So we're super happy about that. Now. The other thing is, you know, what about the um, the end user and our customers in general have two options. Either they say, okay, we want you to train your model so that your style fits with each individual medical writers. So mm-hmm. that's one, you know, one avenue. The other one, and we, I mean, we have really two feedback. The other one said, no, 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 no. We want the company voice. Yeah. This is how we want you to present. We want more standardization. You know, we want more. So, you know, and we can cope with both. But, uh, you know, we have both, you know, both, both ask.
0: Interesting. Okay. So it's not like the whole industry wants more unification. Some of the industry says, no, we like the way Sally writes. We like the way that Jacob writes. We like the way yes. that, and we want to do more of them.
1: Pharma, we are more in the, you know, standardization, I would say. Okay. They say, okay, we consider you as another medical writer, you know, virtual medical writer, who's going to prepare the work for the human medical writer. So you help, you know, so the, the way we need you to help them is standardized. It's the way, you know, it has to be standardized. But again, other customers push us to say, no, 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 no. You have to go one step further and adapt the style and adapt your recommendation to every single buyers. It's fine. I mean, we have solution for both.
0: Yeah, yeah. But clearly, it sounds like there's going to be evolution for you guys in both directions. And that's, that's going to involve again coming up with whatever the parameters are that make up style so probably there's been a lot more work since we talked last about what that involves you know what what elements of the sentence do we look at to figure out how somebody would say something and breaking that down building that back up into a way that machines can replicate feels like frankly quite challenging work but it's interesting to hear from somebody who's you know doing business with big enterprise some people are going to want more unification. Other people are actually going to want it more specific to individual writer yeah. style. So maybe we can expect a little bit of both as the enterprise moves forward. As a last question here, as we kind of think about where this technology is taking us, you know, you guys had mentioned off microphone, and, and we talked about in the opening, this whole breaking uh, of the old expectations, setting of a new normal. And there's this big ambitious idea that we might be able to cut the time that it takes to get a drug to market in half. And, and you guys are excited to be part of that journey. There's a lot, I think, that would have to happen, of course, in order to fully make that happen. Maybe even the FDA would have to alter a good number of, of their processes and norms. But when you think about where AI fits into that big vision that people, probably all drug development companies would like to move towards, where are all the different Lego parts that are going to bring that kind of a speed change to life?
1: Well, there's a few, uh, you know, a few elements. And, and frankly, you know, this is a super complex, uh, you know, drug introduction. You know, I'm you know, I'm very humble, you know, I, but clearly in the analytics, you know, this is for biostatistician, you know, clearly new model can really help understand the efficacy. And, you know, I know, you know, a lot of companies are working on that. Well, it's not our core business, but I know, you know, a lot of people are working on that. How to accelerate, you know, talking about, um, you know, many, you know, a lot of investment there. Even in our area, you know, when you look at the new language model, I don't know if you have heard about, you know, GTP3 or, you know, or T5 from Google, you know, they're I mean, clearly magic model where you can write books, you know, I mean, it's very impressive, super flexible, you know, and there are few shots learning. So when you feed them with a few, you know, a few documents and you can create the big problem. So massive flexibility. And this is what we're lacking. So it could be a good opportunity for us to integrate this uh, this model. But as well, you know, the drawback of these are control, you know, because you know, as everybody knows, you know, there are some drawbacks. They are, you know, in 30, 20, you know, depending on how this, you know, it is it is developed and depending on how they are trained, but they can be a number of omissions. So they don't talk about the data we ingested, which is uh, you know, a big problem for us, or even worse, what they call hallucination. We start to talk about something which just, you know, is just uncontrolled. So in, in this type of uh, you know, highly regulated drug introduction, it may be a bit weird to integrate that. Now, we know, because we've been working with some of our customers on this type of uh, of technology, we know, and it's a matter of you know, a few quarters, we know we can control this model and this could be cool because this could provide you know way more flexibility to expand our reach but as well to include some i would say intelligent content reuse so i told you you know text is 40 to 50 percent of these documents you know, the rest is actually intelligent, you know, or actually, you know, you are taking elements of the product, initial protocol, you are paraphrasing it, you are... So, and we could cover 100%. So our stone, you know, what we could bring to this, you know, overarching goal to divide, you know, by 50% of the drug to interpretation process is actually to automate 100%, to bring a draft of 100% of the documents so that medical writers... The day the database is locked, that's actually a draft of the complete document. That's our goal. Not for tomorrow, but I think uh, next year we'll have to work uh, towards something very interesting there. Progress there. Cool. So um,
0: we got a, a few more minutes. Maybe we can flesh some of this out. So, yeah, clearly in your the world where you guys have expertise in the NLG space, one of the big conduits to that cutting time in half would be let's make sure every document can start with a very strong draft one every document we have all these checkpoints to to passing this this drug to to where we need to get it let's start with a strong draft every time you mentioned the data oriented sections where maybe we have these core proteins we're looking at and these core statistics that we have to enter from this study that we did very regimented fields that's where you're doing the bulk of your automated writing right now what would it take from a technology standpoint or otherwise in order to handle those other kinds of sections? Like what's the what's the barrier there, I guess, to be overcome in those quote-unquote maybe non-data-oriented yeah, be, sections? We'll I don't know like how to text word it to here.
1: Text. So you have got data to text, okay. text to text, you know, you know, I know it's the perfect analogy. Yeah, yeah. I think the technology does exist. Uh, by the way, there are some very good software who can do that, you know, and, and doing the reviewing, you know, and, and handling all the quality checks and so on. Now, again, this transformer model, are designed to that. The big challenge is to control. Big challenge to have ninety nine point nine 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 certainty that will have no emission, no hallucination whatsoever. What we produce is rock solid. Even though we can put that in red, saying, "Guys, you know, please, we it. Be, be absolutely sure." Yes, yes, you know, yes. They yeah, have yeah, to yeah, trust yeah. what we provide. You know, the content we provide has to huh. be, uh, you know, has to be trusted by the guys. So. You know, and and there are some techniques to do that, and so we're working on that. It's a bit too early to table everything. Uh, maybe maybe not the best person yeah, to do yeah. that, but they are. I asked my lab guys, "You are you sure you can actually achieve it?" They told me, "Yes, hundred percent." So yeah, that's nice.
0: So yeah, it sounds as though the way that we regiment the kind of data to text side of things, and the way that we can quality control it, is maybe a little bit more streamlined than when we don't have those hard data points and anchors to hang off of like you said you could generate it now and just say well it's got a it's got a lower confidence ratio so you guys have to tweak this what you're saying is we can't really give it to them and say it's a rough start but you guys could tweak it we need to give it to them and say honestly we feel very very confident that you could actually go with this so it's about closing that barrier there are spaces as, you, as you're well aware even in a space like uh, anti-money laundering where we're not just going to tell the analyst um every time that it's Ninety-nine point nine percent anti-money laundering. We might tell them when it's fifteen percent. We might tell them when it's any percent over seven. So the gradient is actually acceptable. It sounds like in your space, when we're creating that that NLG content, actually we've got to be at that upper bound of perfection right away.
1: Yes, yes, and that's uh, that's the challenge, the beauty of pharma. You know, it has to be perfect. Now, in other fields like marketing, or you know, I mean, you may be a bit more flexible. In pharma, you know, it has to be has to be perfect. But, yeah. you know, let's make sure our lives uh, interesting.
0: Uh, that's exactly it. If it was simple, then there would be no business around it. But clearly there is, as you guys have grown since we've talked last. So that's cool. And I, I think that this perspective here can help our listeners get a sense of what are the forces pulling new vendor applications in new directions into new capabilities? And how are those business requirements forcing you guys to adapt and, and serve those needs? So this has been a great window into that. And I know that's all we had for time. But Emmanuel, it's been a pleasure having you back on the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Dan, thank you very much.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business Podcast. I'm excited to talk to additional vendors and enterprise leaders as more industries go through these big flux times. I really liked the whole idea of a new normal in drug development. COVID obviously sort of forced that upon them. But many, many industries are going to go through exactly the same thing. So I appreciated Emmanuel sharing his under the hood perspective on what it's looked like in the life sciences space as they've kind of grown there. I did promise in the intro here I would tell you a little bit more about this ROI series that we have coming up next. Next Monday, we're going to be changing it up a bit. Instead of our normal Monday, Tuesday cadence, we're going to have every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from the 14th to the 18th of March, we're going to be airing episodes on achieving ROI with early AI projects. Our first guest is the head of the AI Center of Excellence for all of Intel. Our next guest is the head of AI Insurance for Munich Re., Munich Re does tens of billions of dollars in revenue, and they have a particular take on risk. So if you wanna analyze risk and understand how to roll risk into your ROI calculations, that's gonna be our Tuesday episode. And our Wednesday episode is going to talk about the importance of crawl, walk, run when it comes to measuring ROI. There's ways to not only make things simpler technically in the beginning, but also make your measurements simpler in the beginning so that you can show that traction to leadership and be able to win enough support to take that project to the next level. And that's just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have Thursday and Friday's episode as well. So I hope that we have you with us next week for that big ROI series. We're going to be putting out a giant article on the topic, and we will have a unique PDF resource for all of our podcast listeners to be able to download a bit of a cheat sheet in terms of some of the best lessons learned from this series. Lots of great insights to dive into. Really glad to have you here on the show, and I hope we get to have you with us from Monday through Friday next week. I appreciate you as a listener. I look forward to catching you
1: soon.